Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, June 3rd, 2010. I was cracking up when I was preparing for the program today. <laughs> I the, the sermon review today is weird. <laughs> I kid you not. It's it's a sermon called The Warrior and the the guy preaching the sermon <laughs> sounds like the biggest nerd. I mean, I I I it's just it's this weird disconnect. Anyway, so that that's coming up in the second hour today, and I, oh man, I was cracking up. It was just one of those things. While I was listening to the sermon, I, I don't, a lot of times when I prepare for the program, um, I listen to the sermon maybe about uh, halfway to two-thirds of the way through. Many times I don't actually hear the whole thing before we go on the air. Uh, it's just so that I can get a radar fix on the sermon itself and figure out what I'm going to do with it and how it plays into uh, the theme that I'm working on. Anyway, in listening to the sermon, I just I, I I sat there with my jaw like on my desk. It was just bizarre. It was just one of those ones. I mean, you hear the gospel in passing. It's it's. You know, you get the gospel nuggets, they come in. I mean, it's been a while since we've heard some legitimate gospel nuggets, so I'll, you know. But the, the, anyway, I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like, wow, <laughs> I don't even know what to make of this. I mean, I, I, this guy talks about Jesus without actually telling us anything about what Jesus said, taught, did. I mean, for real, in context, it's just, whew. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that I was doing that just minutes before went on the uh, before I went on the air here, and so that's coming up in hour number two. You don't want to miss that. The warrior, uh, <laughs> preached by a guy who's I mean, who has that quintessential nerd voice. <laughs> it's just, huh? <laughs> Weird. Anyway, well, <laughs> welcome to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseborough. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to help you to think biblically, to help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. We live in a day where people who actually disagree with the Bible and disagree with what the Bible teaches, they completely uh, don't believe in sound biblical doctrine, 
think that it's their prerogative to stay in the Christian church and pretty much just make up their own Christianity. I mean, that's kind of the whole postmodern thing, isn't it? Uh, you know, it, it, and this is something that's been around for a while. It goes back to small group studies where the question that comes up is, what does this verse mean to you? Oh, well, it means to me that, you know, uh, oh, that that's the, the most worthless question ever. But uh, it's not what does it mean to you? The question is, what does the verse mean? The Christian faith is a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, period. It's a revealed religion with revealed truth, not truth that's negotiated while in conversation uh, with the culture, as if the culture has any say as to what is to be considered sound biblical doctrine. No, we have a revealed religion uh, with a revealed word from God. And here's what he said, and it's not open to negotiation, plain and simple. And now there are passages that have been debated over the years as to what was intended by God when he had those words inspired. Those, those types of debates, those types of arguments, sadly at times are very necessary. And uh, why? Because we have a revealed word and we don't want to biff it. But I mean, people nowadays, they don't even care about biffing it. They just make stuff up. And so we've got people in the church who think it's the, yeah, their prerogative to create a, quote, Christian church and in that Christian church, they are, they uh, the the Bible plays little or no role, and they they basically deny all of the fundamental Christian uh, doctrines. They deny what the church has said, you know, through its history. I mean, they've they've just cobbled together a religion of their own making to suit their own cultural desires, and it has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And in their view, the people who are the problem are the ones who go to the Bible and say, hey, wait a second, what you just said doesn't jive with the word of God. You're in error. You're teaching heresy. Oh, you're the problem. You're just a bigot. You're just a hater. You are probably one of those evil ODM types. And how dare you tell me what the Bible says? I'm going to believe what I want to believe. And my cultural uh, attitudes and ideas are more important than Trump the scripture. So don't you dare quote the Bible to me. It's a fallible thing. And so they basically invent their own religion, and they call it, they slap the label on it, Christianity. Well, it's not. It's not Christianity. And if you want to have your own religion um, in the Western de- uh, democracies, in, in the in the Western world, you have a right to believe whatever you want to believe. I mean, if you want to start your own religion, then go and do it. But don't create your own religion and then basically tell everybody that this is a new kind of Christianity as if there is such a thing. No, that's it's a new religion. Call it what it is. And you're the one receiving direct revelation from God, uh, claiming that, you know, that, you know, to back up what you're teaching and believing and, and telling others. But it's not Christianity. Leave the I mean, leave Christianity. Go. Call it what you want. Call it Fred. Call it Wilma. Call it call it the Church of Postmodernity and what's happening now. But don't call it Christianity. So, anyway, you get what I'm saying. So we compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God because the heretics nowadays. I mean, they they are they are a plenty, 
and uh, no one seems to really be challenging them. Well, a few there's there are a few that are, but in today's church world, I mean, the, the denominations don't have the guts to actually do what they're supposed to do, and you know, and prevent heresy from creeping into their denominations. And a lot of churches, I mean, they're not even affiliated with denominations anymore. You know, some guy, uh, you know, with uh, little or no training in in uh, biblical work, goes and has a vision, you know, for and he casts the vision and he creates a a, a church and he he organizes it in such a way that there's no accountability to anybody, his church, let alone a denomination. And so, you know, hey, we, you know, the body of Christ is the body of Christ and. And uh, so we provide uh, some of the white blood cell activities of the body of Christ, even for those guys who refuse to be held accountable. Because the reality is, is that uh, they might have stacked the deck in such a way that they they will suffer no uh, financial repercussions for their heresy. However, uh, that doesn't mean that they're not accountable to God and to his word. They are. So we I exist. We exist to. uh, well, provide that that accountability and to let them know that hey, God hasn't uh, their activity hasn't gone unnoticed by God, and that they you know hey, we want to remind them to repent and be forgiven for their heresies because ultimately that's where heresy uh, gets dealt with is in the throne room at the judgment seat of Christ, and uh, things are not going to go well according to her- uh, with heretics according to Jesus Christ and what He has told us. And so we, we don't want things to go badly for people. We don't want people to face God's judgment. We want them to uh, to instead be declared righteous through the work of Jesus Christ and his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for their sins. You know, that that's the clarion call of the gospel that Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 24, go and uh, you know, proclaim to all nations repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. That's what that's what Jesus told the apostles to do. So we're carrying out that work now by uh, letting the apostles proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins by proclaiming the word that they've written. So anyway, with all of that, we're going to dive into our program today, and uh, just by way of uh, uh, just a quick brief summary, yesterday. I interviewed uh, Phil Shepard, the whiskey preacher. He's the uh, pastor of an emergent church in Fort Worth, Texas, called the Eucatastrophe. And uh, fascinating, fascinating interview. And uh, it, it probably my favorite interview to date uh, that I've done. I hope to be able to do more like that in the future. That, that just was a fantastic interview. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to deviate from my normal, uh, my normal activity. Usually what I'll do in an interview, when I do an interview like that, is I will do a debrief. Now, I'm going to do a debrief, but I'm not going to do it straight away. In fact, what I would like you all to do, and, and see, this is an opportunity for some of you to begin to practice and put into practice the things that I've been teaching regarding, uh, regarding um, discernment and seeing whether or not you're, you're, you're learning how to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to open it up to you guys to be able to um, chime in. Provide a little bit of your own debrief and uh, by sending me an email. So what I want you all to do, uh, those of you who want to participate. Um, now, uh, yesterday in the program, I divulged that I, I get anywhere from four or 500 emails a day. It's crazy 
Uh, I and and so I really want to be able to have these stick out. And so if you would like to, an opportunity to provide some of your own thoughts and comparative work of what you heard Phil Shepard say uh, to the Word of God, I want you to send me an email. And what and what I want you, what I want you to do in the email, number one, you need to uh, put a specific. Um, a specific subject line in it so that I can have my email program pick it out. Okay. And the subject line needs to read Phil Shepard debrief. That's all I wanted to say. Nothing else. Just Phil Shepard debrief. Okay. And if you put in the words Phil Shepard debrief in your subject line, then what will happen is my email program will take that email and put it into a place where I can, you know, where I can readily get a view of it. And so what I want you all to do is take a crack at doing some comparative work, doing some biblical discernment, doing the work of a Berean. Okay. Now, some of the things that Phil Shepard said during the interview in talking about the Bible he said the Bible was uh, uh, was like a photo album showing us our family history and you know and things like that in you know in the past. So and he said that the Bible is a is a member of his uh, of his church. Okay, would love to get your thoughts on that. I mean, and come up with some good. Uh, give me something biblical that talks about you know is that the right way to view scripture? Okay. Uh, something else that he said, uh, he said that uh, he he agrees with Pelagius, not Augustine. And by the way, I challenged him on Twitter today and and uh, and pointed out I, I did some try to do some historical digging to see if it was true that Augustine had Pelagius uh, put to death. And I couldn't find anything to that effect. In fact, uh, the articles that I had found pretty much said that, you know, that uh, even after Pelagius was excommunicated, and Augustine played a role in Pelagius's excommunication. After he was excommunicated, uh, the, the, there's some stories that say he lived on for another 20 years and that he died somewhere in Palestine. And so I, I sent that, you know, that information to him, and he said, "Hey, no problem. I don't have a problem admitting I was wrong." So you know, Augustine didn't kill Pelagius. You need to know that. So don't write me about that. It's you know, that's that's all, actually all sorted out and it was handled uh, amiably, amicably. So. Um, but uh, one of the things he, he did say is, is that um, that man isn't sinful. In fact, believing that you are a sinner or wretched or how did he put it, a piece of crap, he, he, he said that's the lie of Satan. And it's in, in, when you believe that you are a sinner or a wretched or a piece of crap, that, that's, that, that, that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy in your life whereby you then um go and um well you become an adulterer uh, a murderer and things like that uh what are your thoughts on that and not only your thoughts but i i want you to do some comparative biblical work what does the bible say about this okay does the bible teach that we are sinful by nature um or was that just the invention of augustine okay and uh, and you know does the bible teach that it's a lie for us to believe that we're sinners Okay, yeah, and give me some biblical passages. Argue your case from the Bible on this one. Okay, and then uh, when I asked him what uh, Jesus, what was Jesus doing on the cross, um, he, he basically came to the conclusion. Well, he explained how he had struggled uh, with that because after he uh, no longer believed that we are sinful by nature, 
he could, he for many years he had a pro, he didn't even know he wouldn't be, he would couldn't tell you what Jesus was doing on the cross but the conclusion he's come to is very similar to the emergent leader uh, Jonathan Brink uh his conclusion and and that is is that Jesus died on the cross to show us that we were worth it okay um can you do some biblical work on that and then make your case biblically. And so what I want to do is that uh, I, I want the first pass on the debrief for uh, for the interview with Phil Shepard to not be my analysis, not me comparing what he said to the word of God. But I want you to do it. I want to see how you would argue the case. And here's the deal. OK, if you send me something and you basically argue your opinion against Phil Shepard's opinion, yeah, you're not going to make the grade because uh, one, specul- one speculative theology does not cancel out another's speculative theology. There's no, unless, of course, you can prove to me that you are an infallible prophet of God and that God is directly speaking to you, and therefore your opinions are to be exalted uh, above everybody else's. Uh, you know, you see what I'm saying? Anyway, so th- this is your opportunity, and I really, really, really want to hear what you have to say on this. So what you do, r- spend a little bit of time, take m- one or two of the topics if you would like, you know, so- or any something, maybe even something I didn't even pick up on he- here. And uh, what I want you to do is you spend some time in the biblical text comparing what Phil Shepard has said to the Word of God, and then write me your analysis. Okay, via email, and you send the email to uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Again, send it to the email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, and the subject line needs to read Phil Shepard debrief. That way, my email program will flag it, pull it out, and uh, assemble it, you know, put them in a place where I can get to them. I really want to read your analysis to see how you, you know are, how are you doing in learning biblical discernment and comparing what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god this would be a great opportunity for you to do so and if and if you would like to write a blog post about this you uh, feel free to write the blog post and you can just send me the email with the subject line with the link to a blog post that you've written but i, I want you to wrestle with what he said in light of what god's word says okay and uh and so you guys get the first crack at it. And then uh, and then after that, um, I may or may not even need to do a debrief. It just depends on how, how good of a job you all do. Okay? So there you have it. Uh, would really like to, uh, to get your feedback. For the rest of the program today, how oh, good night. <laughs> am I going to have time to get through all of these? Probably not. But... Um, Let's see here. The ones I want to talk about. Uh, let's see. There's a modern-day hermit lady in the uh, in in the in Great Britain in the UK, and uh, she's fighting for her rights to continue her hermiting. And uh, I want to talk about that today. Al Mohler has a piece called "A Black Cat in a Dark Room." Are theologians really saying anything? And I, I think that's uh, worth uh, discussing. And um, and then I, I might want to mention, I, I may or may not get to this, Ted Haggard announced uh, yesterday that he's starting a new church. And uh, boy, he, he telegraphed that one. You know, he announced last week that he would have a big announcement on Wednesday. And it's like, 
how much do you want to bet Ted Haggard's going to announce that he's going to start a new church and he's going to be the pastor? I mean, seriously, was there anyone sitting there going, scratching their head? I wonder what the big announcement is. Yeah, so he's announced it, and uh, I might want to talk about that today. But the one I really want to get to uh, will be uh, later this hour. Um, something that happened in my backyard. I, I live in Indiana, and um, in uh, one of the counties not too far from where I live, they um, there was a school bus driver who just laid into uh, one of the students on her bus, and... I mean, it's just flat-out persecution of Christianity. I, I don't know how else the, that you can spin it. And so I'm going uh, to play an uh, audio from a news story that appeared here on the Fox affiliate in, the Indiana, in, in Indianapolis. And uh, this, I think this is an example of persecution of Christians in the United States. And these we're hearing more and more of these types of stories. In fact, this story reminds me of some of the stuff that I was covering uh, about the persecution of Christians in the U.K., uh, just a couple of years ago, I, I, I think we're heading for some uh, pretty open uh, rank persecution of Christians. And I think this story is kind of one of those ones you should pay attention to. And then, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the program, uh, we're going to be doing a sermon review called The Warrior. Uh, and, oh, man, <laughs> it's from Good News Community Church in Broomfield, Colorado, and the pastor's name is Matthew uh, Fight, F-I-T-E, or I, I, that's, I'm going to just con- pronounce it Fight. I may be messing it up. But Matthew, um, he's, I am not joking when I say this. And it's, I don't mean to be disparaging, but his voice on the sermon, he sounds like one of these 105-pound uh, nerd weaklings, you know, with a pocket protector and the big, thick, black rimmed glasses with the with the tape in between on the nose bridge. And I, I am not kidding. That's exactly what he sounds like. He sa- he has that kind of sound characterization to his voice. I mean, if I were to hire him to do uh, voiceover work here at Pirate Christian Radio, I would hire him. I he he would make the short list of people that I would consider hiring for uh, voiceover work if I was looking for a nerd character. I am, not, uh, and the name of the sermon is the Warrior, and I I, it's just one of those sermons. I just as I was listening to it, my jaw was on the desk. It's like wh- I huh. <laughs> <laughs> It makes you wonder, I mean, was the sermon series done in order to make the seeker-driven church more appealing to men? And if so, do they really think they pulled it off? I just, anyway, that'll be an hour number two uh, sometime today, so make yourself comfortable. I mean, we're well into the program. I I get that. I've been just waxing eloquent. Anyway, so uh, with that, we're going to dive into the program proper and uh, and go from there, so... From the Telegraph in the uh, UK, headline reads, uh, Modern Hermit Karen Markham Fights for Solitude. <sighs> okay, this is by Jonathan Wynne Jones, who's the religious affairs correspondent there for the Telegraph in the UK. And it, as I read this piece uh, in preparing for the program, the thing that really struck my mind is, is that, well, Karen Markham, this hermit lady, uh, in fighting for solitude, I mean, she's the epitome of uh, of a postmodern mystic. I mean, this is this is a gal who 
who is uh, the, she's practicing the spiritual discipline of solitude. I mean, taking it so seriously that this is how she wants to spend her entire life. Uh, I read, um, uh, Karen Markham hoped to leave her worldly concerns behind to pursue a life of solitude and contemplation. Uh, when she became one of Britain's few officially recognized hermits, but she has been forced to break into her daily routine of prayer, religious reading, and gardening to engage in a public campaign to save her from becoming homeless. The 44-year-old former music teacher faces the process, prospect of being forced out of her secluded hermitage, a cottage in rural Shropshire. I'm sure I mispronounced that. After, after its owner decided to sell. Uh, senior clergy, including several bishops, are campaigning to save Miss Markham from losing her home and to allow her to continue in the role which they described as invaluable. Okay, uh, just want to stop right there. Um, let me see. Uh, Karen Markham has left her vocation as a teacher so that she can become a hermit. And that means that she spends her day only doing, only praying, religious reading, and gardening. Okay? And and she's pursuing a life of solitude and contemplative prayer. I just got a question for you. Um, Didn't Jesus say to us to go and make disciples of all nations? He didn't say run away, hide yourself in seclusion, and engage in a a life of complete solitude and contemplation. Serious. I mean, isn't this exactly contrary to what it is that scripture teaches us scripture teaches us in regards to a person who is able-bodied that a man who doesn't work shouldn't eat plain and simple okay this is what the bible says the bible teaches us to work with our hands and to earn enough money to care not only for ourselves but to save out a little bit so that we can care for others what the Bible says. The Bible nowhere teaches us to um, pull ourselves out of society, stop doing the vocation that God has given us to do, so that we can be completely secluded, have complete solitude, and live a life of solitude and contemplative prayer. Yet, this church pastor person describes senior clergy person uh, and several bishops describe what Ms. Markham is doing as invaluable. Um, invaluable. A, uh, that's kind of an interesting word. I mean, I, it, you couldn't put a, you couldn't put a price tag on what she's doing. What she's doing is priceless. It's so vital. It's so imp- really. Uh, what is so invaluable about what Hermit Ms. Markham is doing? 
it, she's living a life that's contrary to the life that Christ calls us to live. Uh, she's living a life contrary to the life that Christ, that God's word tells us to live. Serving and loving our neighbor in our vocations. I mean, by withdrawing herself from all of society and living a life of complete solitude, isn't she, in a sense, basically hating her neighbor? So much so that she does, that she is basically said, "I am more important, and my re- my relationship with God is so important. I ha- I don't want to have nothing to do with nobody, nowhere, no how. I'm not going to preach the gospel to you. I'm not going to proclaim Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I'm not going to work with my hands. I'm not and and be productive and provide for myself. I'm going to become a hermit." And isolate myself from everybody. Where does the Bible tell us to do this? How how is it that a clergy person who is supposedly a Christian clergy person say that Miss Markham's solitude is invaluable? Based on what? How is this invaluable? I I just see it as complete. First of all, it, it's uh, it's selfish in the highest degree. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, back in church history, uh, there were these guys. They were they what they were called pole saints. Uh, these were these were hermits, uh, hermits and aesthetics who uh, who basically uh, they uh, they lived on the top of a of a Roman column or, or pillar. They were pillar saints, is what they were called, and because that I mean they they completely secluded themselves from the world. And, you know, and by being high off the ground, they could focus only on God. I mean, they were closer to God because they were higher up. And uh, there was the saying that it wasn't the pillar saints who were really the saints. It was the people who uh, emptied their uh, excrement buckets that were really the saints. Think about it. Yeah, so I don't see, um, I, I, I see no value, no value whatsoever in a person who wants to completely seclude themselves from all of society and the world and, quote, focus on God. This is not what God has called us to do, okay? This is an invented good work. When we think about what's a good work before God, believe me when I tell you, we human beings are the are just so creative when it comes to inventing good works. The problem is, is that our invented good works really amount to nothing. I mean, it's a pipe dream. If you want to know what a good work is, read the Ten Commandments. Okay, third use of the law does tell us what a good work is. So when you read something that says, thou shalt not kill. Okay. Well, that's the negative. Turn it into a positive. Look at the positive. act. Well, I'm not supposed to kill my neighbor. The positive would be to defend and uphold and protect your neighbor and his bo- and protect him in his body and his property. That's a good work. And I know it's a good work because God's word says it's a good work. Pulling myself out of society and, and becoming a hermit and experiencing solitude and contemplation, that's a completely man-made invention. It's not taught in the Bible. Not, definitely not in this capacity. It's an invented good. It's a pipe dream. 
you think God's going to get up? I mean, Markham's going to get stand before the throne of God, and God's going to go, oh, you are so much holier than everybody else because you decided to completely extract yourself from all of your brothers and sisters and to focus only on... No, that... That's not what God calls us to do. This is a man-made, invented good work. It's not invaluable. It has no value. It's cockeyed. It's backwards. It's upside down. It's, uh, it's. I'm sorry, but I, hermits is not what Christ has called us to be. He's called us to be salt and light in the world. This is the example. Of, I mean, Jesus says you don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. You are the salt of the earth, Christ tells us. How can you be salt of the earth if you refuse to even be in the earth? Just disappear. Yeah, anyway, you get what I'm saying. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, uh, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. 
Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! How am I supposed to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer? Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of Scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, no, no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of Scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was, Judas hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time! I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something! If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way! Just open the Bible and read it! Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support.
back. Warning. Becoming a hermit and extracting yourself from society is not a good work. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous financial gifts and contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. Uh, when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once we get to 1,000 listeners, we'll have the minimum amount of money we need to continue to operate every month. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you can contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, looking, okay, we're going to be able to do two things, uh, and then we'll have to um, go <laughs> go into our uh, sermon review here. So um, Al Mohler has a new piece, a new column that he's written over at the, uh, the Al Mohler blog. It's also available at the um, Christian Post. It's called, A Black Cat in a Dark Room. Are, are theologians really saying anything? Let me read Dr. Moeller. He says, Terry Sanderson is president of Britain's National Secular Society. So it's hardly news that he has little time for the efforts of theologians. Writing in The Guardian in the UK, Sanderson dismisses theology as a form of knowledge. Hmm. Theologians may talk, he suggests, but they really are not saying anything. In his words, theology is drivel. Thus, any attention given to theology, even to refute it, is just... Wasted effort. Efforts to understand theology are hopeless, he insists. Well, in order to bolster his claim, Sanderson cites that the late science fiction writer Robert L. Heinlein, who wrote Theology is Searching in a Dark Cellar at Midnight for a Black Cat that Isn't There. Theologians can persuade themselves of anything. Sanderson also calls H.L. Mencken to testify. For centuries, theologians have been explaining the unknowable in terms of the not worthy to know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what's funny um even before i go any farther there's some truth to some of these claims i mean if you listen to the the theologies of speculative theologians i, I think back to uh uh to oh, what was that the, those videos that we re- reviewed here uh there was a it, and they had tony jones and other emergents you know, talking about what was Christ doing on the cross, or what was God, what did Christ do for us that we can't do for ourselves? I mean, their their answers were just complete gobbledygook, and so I I listened to the claims of some of these uh, guys out there attacking theologians, and I sit there and go, yep, there's there's a lot of truth to what they're saying, and then sitting there and go, well, how come it doesn't apply to you? Well, the reality is, is that, well, I argue theology in light of a revealed word of God, and that's Jesus Christ and him crucified for our sins, God incarnate. And so I'm arguing theology in light of what's happened in history, and I believe that it can be overthrown. It can be overthrown evidentially if you find the bones of Jesus Christ. And so that puts it into a completely different realm. In fact, I would even argue that uh, the people here that uh, Moeller are describing are, are the uh, philosophical heirs of a form of positivism. So 
yeah, I'm well versed and I understand where where they're coming from. And I think some of their claims are just spot on. Let me see what Mueller writes though. He says, he says, well, at least he didn't equivocate. Heinlein and Mencken had their say. And uh, to their assessments of theology, Sanderson adds his own. Theology is an excuse for grown men to spend their lives trying to convince themselves and others that ridiculous fairy tales are true. Now, Sanderson doesn't even believe in these so-called big questions about life and its meaning. Quote, my problem is these questions don't have an answer, he asserts. No matter how long you think about them and however much you try to bring God into the question, Sanderson prefers Gertrude Stein's succinct worldview. The answer is there is no answer. And yet for someone who says theology is not worth reading, he seems to have at least made some effort to read the work of Rowan Williams, <laughs> who was an academic theologian before becoming the Archbishop of Canterbury. Sanderson goes so far as to cite a rather lengthy paragraph from one of the Williams sermons. Williams, he concedes, is thought to be intelligent, quote, he, he is said to have a brain the size of Jupiter because he can produce convoluted writing that nobody within their feet in reality can comprehend. <laughs> Reminds me of Paul Tillich. Williams, whose tepid leadership of the Anglican communion and refusal to call liberal churches in the United States and Canada to account, has brought his communion to the point of breakup, is, is quite capable of writing incomprehensible prose. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> that skill is shared by far too many academics in every field. But Sanderson's central point is not that this particular theologian is incomprehensible, but that the, the but theology itself is incomprehensible, and that is a very different matter. Theology is worse than use, useless, he complains, because it contains no knowledge. He compared theology to modern science. Quote, if science disappeared from human memory, we would soon be living in caves again. If theology disappeared from human memory, no one would notice. <laughs> I think he's right to a degree. At least all this speculative, weird, bizarre, liberalizing theology. Yes. It says, now a careful thinker might quickly point out the illogical and absurd argument Sanderson makes here. By simple logical fact, no one notices what one has forgotten. Otherwise, one has not forgotten. But Sanderson's main point is clear enough. On the, uh, on the one hand, what makes Terry Sanderson's argument so untenable is the fact that one cannot explain human history in general and the history of Western civilization in particular without endless reference to the fact that human beings have indeed believed in God and that these beliefs did and do matter. Great point, Dr. Muller. Uh, like it or not, one cannot explain our culture and civilization without constant reference to theology. Another salient point. But Sanderson's larger point is more serious and important. He is truly certain that theology has no claim upon knowledge. In other words, theologians are not talking about any reality. Theology is just a mind game played by individual theologians or theological communities. Oddly enough, Sanderson's argument is championed by some within the Theological Academy. A good many radical revisionist theologians openly accept Sanderson's claims. They, too, argue that theology offers no knowledge, only potential meaning. Their God is not a self-revealing, self-existent person, but a symbol or a literary character. Feminist theologian Janet Martin uh, Soskice describes theological realists as, quote, those who, while aware of the inability of any theological formulation to catch the divine realities, uh, nonetheless accept that there are divine realities that theologians, however ham-fistedly, are trying to catch. 
<laughs> what? In other words, she's explaining to her readers that when some theologians speak of God, they really believe that there is a God of whom they are speaking. Ah, that's what she was saying. Okay. It says a very great deal about the state of so much academic theology that, that Soskais had to explain that some theologians really believe that there is a God and that we can truly know him. <laughs> what has happened to the world? When you have somebody happen to say something to the effect of, you know, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's actually some theologians who actually believe there's a God. What a bunch of maroons. I mean, seriously, I mean, whoever heard of a theologian actually believing that there's a God? What's the world coming to? <clears throat> we continue. Far too many academic theologians are in basic agreement with Terry Sanderson, but they, they take their paychecks and attend their academic meetings anyway. For them, theology is just one more discipline in the theory-laden world of modern of the modern academy. But if theologians are not making a claim to knowledge, if theology is just looking for a non-existent black cat in a dark room, then shut it all down and spend the money on something useful. Right. Authentic Christian theology begins and ends with the knowledge of God, a true knowledge that God has graciously revealed to us in his word. Without the gift of God's self-revelation, we would be groping in, the, in that dark room for a black cat. However, the fact that God has revealed himself changes everything. The true and living God desires to be known and has made himself known. That makes all the difference. True theology is not explaining the unknowable but coming to know the God who wants us to know him. Theology is about knowledge, indeed about the knowledge that matters the most of all. Don't worry about the black cat in the dark room. Our task, our task is to know, serve, and worship the God who is there and has made himself known. And let me add just this to Dr. Moeller's piece. Not only does God want us to know him and has made himself known, that we know him in the perfect revelation of, of God in Jesus Christ, who was God in human flesh. I know that there's a God, not because I've done philosophical work that tells me and shows me that there's a, a, there's a good logical reason to believe in God, because if you believe in the teleological argument or the, uh, the argument from design or the ontological argument for the existence of God from the philosophers, that that would prove that, that, that the belief in God is reasonable and tenable. Oh, give me a break. They might show me that belief in God is, is reasonable and tenable, but which God am I supposed to believe in? Shiva, Vishnu, or Yahweh? No, 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 no. I know there's a God because God became a man in Jesus Christ. He walked the earth, claimed to be God, performed miracles that were witnessed by hundreds and thousands. And ultimately, when challenged regarding his authority to do the things that he was doing and to say the things that he was saying, not only was he healing people, he was forgiving sins. And people said, no one can forgive sins except for God alone. Right. When challenged regarding the authority to do the things that he was doing, he said, tear down this temple and I will raise it again on the third day. And the temple he was speaking of was the temple of his body. By his victorious resurrection from the dead on the third day after he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God with power, and that his death on the cross was for our sins, and that we can have 
true knowledge about God. No, there's no need for all this bizarre, stupid, weird, speculative stuff where basically any opinion is as good as another opinion. And the more incomprehensible that opinion is, the more godly that apparent opinion may appear. No, 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 no. Let's get rid of all of that. I know no other God except for the God who nursed at the breast of Mary. All right. Moving along. Persecution of Christians in the United States. You say it's not possible. I say, well, it's already here. This happened in my backyard. Uh, from the Fox News affiliate here in uh, Indianapolis, I bring you this story um, about a Carmel, Indiana bus driver uh, who's at the basically at the center of a legal dispute because while on the bus, while driving the bus, I didn't realize that bus drivers had the right to basically shout down people be, that they disagreed with, you know, students that they disagreed with. Um, anyway, um, car, uh, l listen to the, no, the news story. Here it is. A camera on Carmel Clay Bus 104 was recording when veteran driver Betty Campbell said this about one of her students. Well, you're a smart guy. We have blocked the... Okay, now, it was hard to hear, okay? Here's what... <laughs> Um, yeah, the, basically, she accused a kid of being a little bigot, okay? And the bus driver says that she doesn't have the right to say the things that she's saying. What did she say that was so terrible? She said she wouldn't vote for Barack Obama because he was pro-gay marriage and other things like that. And she was expressing her Christian beliefs. Well, let's continue with the story so you can hear what's going on here. The identities of the students' faces. Calling Rachel Zimmer a stupid little bigot is the result, Campbell would later tell her superiors, of Zimmer reportedly telling students they're going to hell if they believe in gay marriage. Rachel and her parents say it didn't happen. She's been affected on this in a negative way at a core level that we're trying to get her back from, and we, we haven't been able to do it. I don't want to hear one more word about anybody going to hell if they're gay or if they're Buddhist or whatever. Because it's none of your damn business. That's a bus driver talking to a student. And from the, from the looks of it, it's like a junior high kid. Huh. This speech directed at the bus full of children lasted one minute and 40 seconds. But Campbell was apparently so frustrated that she drove her bus empty to Rachel Zimmer's home after the route was finished November 7, 2008. Campbell ordered the teenager and her older sister back onto the bus for another lecture. You understand? I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't talk like that to people. I'm not trying to be mean, but you can't talk like that to people. This is a bus driver up from the Carmel School District telling a student she can't basically express her Christian beliefs. Really? Last time I checked the United States Constitution, we have what's called freedom of speech and we have freedom of religion religious speech is protected in the united states and here we have a state employee basically rudely shouting down and sticking her nose in a conversation that she's not even a part of and then has the audacity to drive to this girl's home after the route's complete and Put her back on the bus and chew her out some more and tell her she can't talk that way? <clears throat> Let's continue. Heard you, darling. I mean, it's not like 
Ed Zimmer says during a deposition while under oath, Campbell admitted she had never heard his daughter talk about gays going to hell. Their reaction to this one, I think, was honestly, let's not do what's right. Let's protect ourselves against the lawsuit, and then we can strong arm the Zimmers. And it yeah, the issue here is is that what we're that I mean, this is just flat out, flat out persecution of a kid who did nothing more than express her opinions some of them informed by her Christian beliefs, to her fellow students. And what happened? The bus driver went off on her. And the bus driver, driver verbally reprimanded her in front of everybody. She doesn't have the authority to do that. And last time I checked, bus drivers don't have the authority to deny a United States citizen, their right to freedom of speech and freedom of religion. That she has a right to disagree with it. But she was acting in the, capa in the capacity of a state employee and telling her she can't talk that way. Well, this is going to go to, um, to a trial. It's, it's the, the Carmel School District is being sued. Oddly enough, the Carmel School District has not fired the bus driver. And... Um, Yes, attorneys for the school uh, district. Uh, let me let me read this uh, this last part here. The facts of the case go back to the late 2008. The Zim and Zimmer's daughter said she did explain on the bus that day that she would not have voted for President Barack Obama because of his views on abortion and same-sex marriage. Attorneys for the school district did not want to comment on pending litigation. Uh, but we did uncover a 2009 letter from the district to the family saying, in part, that Carmel Clay Schools does not condone the incidents or believe that Betty Campbell is a perfect employee. However, they refuse to fire her. Civil lawsuit is set for trial this December. This is one of those cases where I, I hope that the Carmel School District gets their clock cleaned because this is clearly a violation of this little girl's rights. And a blatant example of persecution of Christian ideas and beliefs here in the United States. I'm telling you, I'm seeing more stuff like this, not only in the U.K., but I'm starting to see more, more stories like this in the United States. This is an important one to watch. We'll keep our eye on it for you. Now, if you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith... You can email me. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sermon review coming up. Sermon review. A sermon about being a warrior. Preached by a guy who's, I'm not kidding, sounds like anything but a warrior. Another big at fail at reaching men. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. 
Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk to you about auto insurance. As the father of two teenage drivers, I know how expensive auto insurance can be. But as expensive as auto insurance is, it's nothing compared to the cost of not having it when you need it. That's why I'm excited to have Allstate Insurance as one of Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertisers. Did you know that drivers who switched to Allstate saved an average of $396 per year compared to what they were paying other companies? Now, I don't know about you, but I think $396 is a lot of money in these tough economic times. Why don't you give Allstate a call and see how much they can save you? You can reach them toll-free at 877-246-1511. Again, that's 877-246-1511. The good folks at Allstate will be happy to give you a free quote over the phone. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the web banner, and book your spring or summer travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Listen, it's well known that uh, men just aren't interested in coming to church anymore. I think there's a direct one-to-one correlation between men not wanting to come to church and churches abandoning the correct preaching and teaching of sound biblical doctrine and Christ and Him crucified for our sins. I think that's the problem. The problem is all the sissy, girly stuff. That being said, it's time for our sermon... An obvious attempt by a seeker-driven church to reach out to men. The name of the sermon, by the way, the good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. Our sermon today is entitled, The Warrior. From Good News Community Church, Broomfield, Colorado. Pastor Matthew Fight, F-I-T-E. 
from their website, let me read to you a little bit about this particular sermon. The sermon graphic reads, Warrior, and it has a samurai looking all fierce and manly. And here's what the sermon graphic says. In every man's life, there's a cause worth fighting for and a victory worth claiming. What's yours? Discover how to not only prepare for the battles ahead, but more importantly, how to emerge victorious. It's time to stop playing the role of the nice guy and instead live as the warrior. So that, that's what sermon's about. Folks, the reason why men aren't coming to church is because churches have stopped preaching sound biblical doctrine and instead have basically turned into these metrosexual self-help centers where they can hear about really I'm sorry but the the sissy girlified hallmark greeting card sentimentality Jesus and I know that the uh, seeker-driven pastors know that this is the case, and so these types of sermons are basically their attempts to try to staunch the bleeding of maleness and testosterone fleeing the building. Let me kill the music here. Yeah, serious. If you want men to come back to church, then get back to preaching the gospel. Get back to actually preaching God's word. Men will show up for that. Yeah, I... <clears throat> so without any further ado, here is uh, Pastor Matthew Fight, and I I, I, I got to apologize ahead of time. Matthew does not sound very manly. It's it's uh, as I was listening to the sermon the first time when I was reviewing it, it's like I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was uh, it was surreal. That's the only word that I can come up with. Is is that it was absolutely surreal. Here we go. Actually, it'll start today. How's that? <laughs> I got a question for you. When you think of Jesus, what do you imagine? When I say imagine Jesus in your mind, what does he look like? Uh, think about it for a while. It's not a rhetorical question. Start thinking about it. Wh- who do you see? Uh, what do you imagine? What is that picture? What does he look like? Who let you out of the server room? See, a lot of us, the first thing to come to mind... Is a guy who's gentle, right? He's kind. He's mild and meek, and he's a nice guy. A lot of you picture him with like a little lamb over his shoulder, and he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. You ever seen a Jew from Palestine that way? I mean, we've all seen the pictures of him. That's what he looks like, right? That's what Jesus looks like. Or is it? As I start looking through Scripture, I see a different picture of Jesus. I, I don't see a guy walking around and 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 just. Okay, I want you to know something. You're going to hear a gospel nugget or two in here. But I want to point out the fact he's talking about Jesus without really teaching us anything about what Jesus really did and really taught in context. You're not going to hear a coherent biblical story. You're going to hear verses taken out of context to paint Jesus as a warrior by a man who sounds like he escaped uh, from the IT department. Love and on everybody. You know, that that's definitely a part of it. 
that love is definitely a part of it. But, but Jesus isn't just a nice guy who goes around being safe. Uh, the picture that I get when I start looking through Scripture is someone who, who's actually a great warrior. Especially as you look through the Old Testament, who is the picture of God? What are the metaphors that are used for God? God is this refuge and, and a strong tower. He's a savior, as in there was a battle and he won and, and he saved you from something. Uh, the picture- yeah, he saved me from the wrath of God by dying on the cross for my sins and rising victorious from the grave on the third day after he was crucified for my justification. <sighs> picture of God through all of the Bible is that he's a consuming fire, that he's the redeemer, that he's the warrior. I mean, this is what Exodus 15.3 says. This is God talking about himself. He says, the Lord, he actually says, I am, me. I am the one who was, the one who is, the one who will always be. He says, I am. The Lord is a, is a what? You read it off the screen. A warrior. The Lord is a warrior. And the Lord is his name. He's saying, I am God and I am a warrior and my name is I am. Oh, oh man. This isn't like... <laughs> <laughs> It's just not working for me. It's just, I'm serious. <laughs> he's not he's not selling this to me. I oh, he's a warrior. <laughs> like a little guy walking around saying peace, man. And that's how a lot of us picture Jesus, right? Is that a bad picture? No, I think that's a partial picture of who he is. But I want to I want to talk about this picture of who God says he is. That that Jesus is God in the flesh. Come into this world. And yeah, he's full of love. There's no doubt about it. But he's also a warrior. This is what Jesus said about himself in Matthew 10, verse 34. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is Jesus talking about him, himself. Why did he come to the earth? Why did he come in the flesh? What is that all about? Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a what? A sword. Okay, this is going to drive me nuts. I, I, I just, uh, oh. on several levels, this is just absolutely like, for me, this is like listening to fingernails on a chalkboard. I just, I am, oh. okay, first of all, he's talking about Jesus without teaching anything that Jesus taught. Okay, this is a topical sermon designed to somehow staunch the bleeding of testosterone from seeker-driven churches. If you want men to come to church, then preach the word in context. Tell us what Jesus said, what he taught, what he did. Jesus's manly warriorness will cut, will speak for itself. <clears throat> Let me read Matthew chapter 10. I just, I have to do some biblical work because I'm, I'm going to go crazy. Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 24. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, I'll be reading from the ESV, which I lovingly refer to as the English sanctified version. I read Jesus speaking. This is all red letters. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, they, they were calling Jesus a demon and the prince of the demons. How much more will they malign those in his household? Those That's you and I. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that, is, that will not be made known. I tell you, in the dark, it, I, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, 
and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but instead a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's own person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will also receive a righteous person's reward. For whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by by no means lose his reward. Now he quoted this out of context, but when you put it in context, don't you think that Jesus' manly qualities, his confrontational in-your-face warriorness, comes through when you just preach the text? Not only that, you learn something about what Jesus was teaching and what he was saying. And Jesus' words are critical for us to know. If you, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you don't despise hearing and learning what Jesus taught. In fact, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a student of Jesus in his word is exactly what you are. But you can't be a student of Jesus in his word by cherry-picking verses out of context and stringing them together in some kind of a topical self-help sermon that that somehow we need to emulate the warriorness of Jesus. In fact, I hate to say it, but as we listen to the sermon, uh, Pastor Matt here, who has apparently escaped... Uh, from a nerd colony um, is going to have a very difficult time really making his case about the warriorness of Jesus as he pr- proceeds in his proof texting. Uh, the the examples he's going to give are going to be more and more uh, just strained and incredulity will creep in. We continue. Okay, now can you picture him? He's got the long hippie robe on, right? Like we think of him. He's got the long flowing hair. It's probably not blonde. Okay, let's get past that one real quick. And he's got what? A sword. Literally? Was Jesus walking around like with a samurai sword? Or if he's in my house, it's a lightsaber. (laughs) I'm going to lose it. Man, my kids, they're beating on each other. Whack, whack, whack. Okay, that's a whole another tangent. Sorry. (laughs) But you get this picture. He says, "I I came and bring a sword. Can you picture Jesus as the warrior? 
Some of us can't. Some of us think through the, the scriptures that we know, the, the little bit of the Bible that we know, and we think, I can't picture Jesus being a warrior. But then we start reading the stories of Jesus. And there's this time that he goes into, into the temple, into God's house, into the church, and he finds a bunch of people there who are more worried about making some money, making some bucks, than they are about spending time with God and having a relationship with him. Oh, you've got to be That's your interpretation of Jesus as driving the money changers out of the temple. His complaint was is that they had turned the house of God, a house of prayer, into a den of thieves. And you turn that into, well, you see what was really going on there is that, is that they, there was a bunch of people who cared more about money than having a relationship with Jesus. The text doesn't say that, Matt. And Jesus gets mad. He says, how can this go on in this house? This is God's house. This is my father's house. And he's walking around. He's getting really ticked off. Except he probably you fill it in with another word. And he picks up some stuff and he starts weaving together this whip. And then he starts whipping people with it and driving them out. No lightsaber, no samurai sword. He's got a whip. That's what he's got. And he drives people out. He's yelling at them. He's, he gets them out of there. And they're running away. They're, they're upset. What do we do? They have no idea. But they're out of there. And Jesus is mad. He's a warrior. Uh, there's another story where Jesus is in, a, in his hometown. And he's been going around and telling people about the kingdom of God. And why God sent him into this world. And everybody's like, well, we don't believe you. You can't be God. And we remember you. You're Joseph's son, aren't you? And they're getting ready to stone him. How dare you say you're God in the flesh? Listen carefully to his misinterpretation. He's not reading the passage to you, but listen carefully to how this proves that Jesus is a warrior. I just, I want to bang my head against something. And they're coming after him. They're going to get him. And they've got him pushed up onto a cliff. Jesus is on the end of a cliff and they're pushing him. They're going to just push him off, off the edge of the cliff. And then it says that Jesus parted the crowd. How? I don't know. That's right, Matt. The text doesn't say. How did he do it? It doesn't say. Did he pull out his samurai sword? Did he use the Jedi mind trick on them? Did you give them the look like your mom does sometimes when you know you've been bad? And they all parted. Woo, get out of his way. I don't know. Did he whip out his whip again? Did he have a lightsaber? I don't know. Were they, how many times did he say, I don't know? Is that we up to three times now? The angels behind him, big muscles, they're ready to take on the crowd. I don't know what happened. But something happened, and Jesus parts the crowd, and they all split aside, and he walks right out the middle. Because he's a warrior, man. This isn't a little hippie loving Jesus. This is a warrior. How does that prove he's a warrior again? I'm just not seeing it. And then I think of Jesus on the cross. I think of Jesus giving his life willingly for you and for me. Is that that? He- what does that mean? He gave his life for us. What does that mean? Hippie loving Jesus that we think about. Yeah, okay. He just he just gave himself up. He was like this pacifist. He said, "I'll just no, not at all." He said, "I love you so much. I'm willing to fight." to any extreme, willing to give myself, my blood, whatever it takes so that you could be free. And free from what? And so Jesus dies on the cross. Man, they beat him, they whip him, and they take his dead body down, they stick him into him. And for three days, the Bible says that he fights a spiritual battle. He fights against hell and the demons and the devil for you and for your freedom and for your safety and for your... What? Uh, yeah, the biblical text and first peter does say that he descended into hell uh was he down there 
kicking Satan's rear end. Where did you get this information from? Life. So you can have a relationship with him. I mean, this is better than a cage fight, right? Can you picture Jesus fighting the devil and the demons? This is what happened on the three days between when he was put. And the man in the back said, everyone attacking, they turned into a ballroom blitz. What are you talking about? Put in the grave and when the stone rolled away on Easter morning and he came out, this is what happened, a spiritual battle. The warrior fought. He says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Oh, man. <laughs> ah! To bring you freedom, to bring you into a relationship with God. This is why Jesus came. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the warrior. And the stone rolls away and he's victorious. He's the winner. Hands down and you get the prize. And then the Bible says that Jesus is, I mean, this is what we celebrated last week, right? Easter, that's what Easter is all about, that he was victorious, that we can have freedom, that he fought the fight for us. Freedom from what? And then the Bible says that Jesus is coming again, that he's not done. He doesn't just, oh, no, the warrior's coming back. <sighs> just say, hey, good, go, do whatever you want. He says, no, 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 you got a job to do. You've got battles to fight. You go and do that. I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm not going to be riding on a donkey, not peace, not coming in on a, on a donkey. Instead, I'm coming in on a, on a horse, on a stallion, ready for battle. This is what it says in Revelations 19. A lot of us are like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't the picture of Jesus I always think of. But let's look at one more. Revelations 19. It says, I saw heaven standing open. So we get it. We get a peek into into heaven, what heaven looks like. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse who, whose rider is called faithful and true. And Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. This is Jesus riding on this horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed in a robe dipped in, in blood, in blood. It's a picture of what he did on the cross. That he died for you, that he gave his life for you and for me. He's dressed in a robe. What does that mean? He gave his life for me. What is, what, why do I need somebody to give my life for me? Can you explain that? Robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The word of God. And out of his mouth comes a sharp what? Sword. With which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. And on his robe... And on his thigh, he has this written, it's tattooed on his thigh. It says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here comes this warrior. It's Jesus. See, Jesus has this heart of a warrior. And guys, men, you need to know that God created you in his image. And part of the image he gave you is that of a warrior. And guys, I'm talking specifically to you. Okay, I got to challenge that. Got to challenge it on this, on these grounds. Okay. War, I hate to say it, there are times when it is just to fight a war, and wars are never good. At best, they are necessary evils. Okay, Warriors are those who fight wars, who fight in battles. And when we were created in the image of God, uh, uh, we were good. We hadn't been deceived by the devil and his schemes. And had Adam and Eve remained obedient to God and continued trusting in his word, uh, there would never have been a war on planet Earth. So we were not created to be warriors, 
Men, we were created to be gardeners. Something to consider. We continue. God made you with the heart of a warrior. Guys, this series is for you. As we talk about the warrior. Now, I've already had some ladies tell me, well, what about us? We want to be warriors too. Okay, that's fine. Ladies, you may be princess warriors. I'm okay with that. Okay? But Are you serious? Okay, we don't want to leave the women out. So you can be, you can be warriors too. You can be princess warriors. Oh, goody, goody, goody. You can be a princess warrior. Isn't that great? Ladies, please stay soft. Please keep smelling good. Okay? I mean, guys and ladies are different. There's no doubt about it. And part of what we're going to get to over the next couple of weeks is, is one of these ways that we are made different. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and I know that it, there's no doubt. Before Christ, we are all equal. I'm not saying that one person is better than the other. Please hear me out. But what I am saying is that God made us in his image, and we don't all bear the exact same image. Just like your, your parents. Do you look just like your, your parents, both of them? No, not quite. I got this for my mom. I got this for my dad. And then, and then you look at the other siblings, and they got this and this. and Not quite the same, but still family, right? And that's the way we all are too. What I'm going to get at over the next couple of weeks is, is I want to talk about I want, I want to see God build up the men in this church to be the men that God made you to be instead of the nice guy that a lot of us act like. There's a big difference there. Because, see, there's this problem. God searches for godly men, and he doesn't find them like he should, like he wants to. And this isn't a problem. Just God creates godly men out of sinners through the preaching of the gospel. You ever heard of it? You kind of made allusions to it, but I don't think you really even understand what it is. Just for today, oh, this is a this is an American problem. This is a this is a problem for the year 2010. No, this is a problem that's gone through all history. Another part of who we are as guys, we have a hard time with this getting this piece of us into place. Plenty of nice guys. I mean, there's plenty of guys who go to church, but that's not what God wants. God doesn't want nice guys who go to church. He wants godly men. It's been a problem through the years. Okay, so there's a difference between godly men and men who go to church. Notice the slap against going to church. I, I think the men there should take his advice. Stop going to that church immediately. Stop going. The, in fact, the less you go to church, the more godly you'll become. In the book of Ezekiel, God was looking for some godly men. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, God says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. See, there was, there was a God's town, God's city, and, and the wall had been broken down. And, and, and Ezekiel was the priest during this time. And he looks around and he says, who's going to fix this? Who's going to do something about this? Who's going who's gonna to take care of this? And, and, and God starts saying, I look for a man among them, all these people, all of God's people, who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it. But I didn't find any godly men. I didn't find any men who, who, who would go to the man. I didn't find any warriors. I didn't find any guys with God's heart. Yeah, I found nice guys. I found good guys. I found, I found, nah, they, they go to This is not the story from the book of Ezekiel. This is just contrived eisegesis going on here. So you men listening to this sermon, uh, are, I mean, aren't you inspired to be more manly by hearing it? I mean, all the warrior, every time he mentions the word warrior, I mean, can't you feel your testosterone levels just increasing? I, this is ridiculous. The synagogue, they go to church, they're good guys. 
But God says, I didn't find a godly man who'd stand the gap, who would go to war, who would fight, who would go with integrity, who are willing to work, who are willing to sacrifice themselves for their families and, and for others. Couldn't find any. Couldn't find any. Found zero. Not just a problem for them. I mean, if God was to look through here right now, how many would he find? He would say, yeah, you're a godly man. You're Law, <clears throat> not gospel. It is by faith that men did the great deeds of old that are written for us in the Old Testament. Read Hebrews 11. Faith first, then good godly deeds. No one is righteous, no, not one. And this guy sounds like he's preaching righteousness and godliness apart from faith in Christ. Got a problem with that. You're a warrior. You got a heart that I'm proud of. How many? See, the reality is, is today in the United States, I don't know about the rest of the world because I don't live in the rest of the world. I live in the United States. Tonight in the United States, if you stick your head in any church, you're going to find more ladies than you are guys. It's true. Yeah, it's precisely because the seeker-driven, sissy, pansy, wussified, oprah preaching that doesn't preach God's word, sound biblical doctrine, and Christ and him crucified for our sins. <sighs> you think this little warrior series is going to somehow turn that around? That's horrible. I'm not saying that because ladies are bad. Don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not saying men should take over and there should be more... <sighs> saying, guys, come on, we need to stand up and be the men, the warriors that God called us to be. Come on, guys, we need to stand up and, you know, come on. You think you're going to, that the way you're going to increase the number of men coming to your church is by nagging at them. Come on, guys, we need to be the men that God wants us to be. (laughs) I read a, a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. Bottom line for that book is that churches have tried to turn men into women. The American church has tried to make men act like women. And studies have conclusively proven men make really bad women, okay? <laughs> Guys, you're, you're hairy. You smell bad. You don't make good women. And that's okay. Guys don't need to be women. Uh, too often we've told men that you've got to be nice. You've got to be gentle. You, you, you've, got to be, you've got to be kind. Are those good things? Those are all good things. Those are excellent things. But those are where that starts. That's not the end product of what God wants in you. God wants so much more for you than for you just to be nice. Nice isn't good enough. Scripture says that God, the man of God needs to be more than nice. Because nice isn't a cause worth living for, is it, guys? Mother's Day is coming up, right? Everybody loves Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a great day, great holiday. Going to wreck it for some of you. Pastor Chad and I were talking about this week. Mother's Day was made by Hallmark. They did it to sell cards, okay? Mother's Day is coming up. Hallmark's official holiday. Makes you sad, doesn't it? But Mother's Day comes around, everybody gets all excited. Yay, mothers, because mothers are the best. Moms are awesome. And then Father's Day comes around. And what happens then? Well, we all celebrate how bad fathers are, right? <laughs> it's horrible. And we tell, we tell dads, dads, you should be more like moms. That's wrong. Guys don't need to be like moms. This guy's voice reminds me of that light in the loafers guy that appears on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You're not a mom. You were made to be a warrior. You weren't made to be a mom. 
You need a cause to fight for, a cause to live for, and a cause to die for. And that's what a lot of us don't have as guys. Every warrior, if you're a real warrior, you have a cause to fight for. But a lot of us don't have a cause. See, something happens to us as guys when we find a cause to fight for. And, and I recognize fully, some of the ladies in the room, you're like, yeah, I need a cause to fight for too. I can take this on. Okay, be a princess warrior. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not trying to push anybody out. But for some reason, us guys, we have a hard time with this one. We're, we're sitting back and we're letting other people, letting the ladies and other people, other guys take the causes. And we'll just sit back and watch. We'll just let somebody else do it. And that's wrong. Uh, there's a story in the Bible about Nehemiah, and the walls of the city are broken down. Does it sound familiar? Just talked about this, right? The walls of the city are broken down, and, and, and he's trying to find a way to get the men to do something about it. And he doesn't go to them and he says, men, fight for yourself. Because guys, we don't fight for ourselves, do we? Nah. You know what? If I live by myself, if I didn't have a family, I'd just live in this small place. I don't need a lot of room. I, you know, you start thinking through these things, guys, and you realize I don't need a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, I, I do this for my family. I do this for the people that I, that I love. They're, they're my cause. And that's what Nehemiah says. Nehemiah says, will you, will you, will, instead of doing it for yourself, will you do it for someone else? Will you fight this fight for? Uh, Nehemiah does not say any, oh, this is, uh, this is just absolutely absurd. Is it ridiculous? Someone. And this is what he says. Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them, the people who have broken down the wall, the people who are saying, we're coming back, we're going to break down the wall again. You put it up, you put it up, and we're going we're gonna to just rip it down, and then we're going to rip into your city. And Nehemiah says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He's on your side. And now do this. He says, fight for your brothers. Fight for someone else. Fight for a cause. Fight for your sons and fight for your daughters and fight for your wives and fight for your homes. And the man said, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. And they go out and they start rebuilding the wall. And they put up guards to guard the wall. They're all over this. See, there's something about a man that that we need something to fight for, not just ourselves. We need a cause to fight for. I'll fight for that person who's broken. I'll fight for that person who's been abused. I'll fight for that, that, that person who seems invisible. I'll fight for my family. I'll stand up for these people. This is what a warrior does. This is what we need. This is what gets our blood pumping as guys. But so often we sit back and we be nice and we let somebody else do it. But we need a cause. There, there, there are two kinds of movies, right? There are two kinds of movies. There are chick flicks and there are real movies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, ladies, but it's true. Ah, guys, we go to chick flicks, and they're what? 90 minutes of pure hell, okay? Everybody's holding hands and snuggling and stuff. And you know what? I love going to chick flicks because my wife likes them. And I get to hold her hand, and we get to kiss afterwards. And that's good, okay? <laughs> that makes it worth it. Man, I'll go to a 1,000 for that. But a guy, what gets your blood pumping? It's when you go to a guy movie, right? It's when you go to see Gladiator, right? Yeah. This is the lamest attempt I have ever heard at somehow trying to reach out to men. Unbelievable. Ah, and you're watching that, and all the armies are ready for battle, right? And he stands up, and he says, brothers. What we do today in this life echoes into eternity. I am, wow, wow, wow. 
this sermon just fails on so many levels. It's, it's, it, it's ridiculous. This is just an abysmal handling of God's word. And on top of it, I, by the way, the, the, the guy I'm talking about was mentioned, it's Ross Matthews. I don't know if you've ever seen Jay Leno's show. I can't stand this kid. It just, oh, just, just obnoxious. I feel like I'm getting manly advice from Ross Matthews. If you don't know what he sounds like, he, he, this is Ross, uh, from his, uh, talkie blog on YouTube. Hi, blog buddies! Hi, it's Ross. Okay, so here's the deal. It is not th- uh, Thursday, it is not Friday morning. It's Thursday night. Because Friday morning, kind of early, I leave for, um, Seattle to catch a plane. So I'm filming this. Uh, uh, Thursday night. Why am I so confused on what day it is? Because I'm on vacation. Anyway, so listen. Oh, yeah, and there's Weezy in the background. Listen, I'm just about to watch Big Brother on uh, Thursday night, but I have it paused. Like, here, look at Gloria. See, there's Julie Chen back in the background. I have it paused because I was waiting for my best friend and old roommate from college, Ryan! We called him on the phone before and talked speak. This is not how you get men to come to your church. Preach God's word. Preach the gospel. Actually handle God's word correctly. Read it. Give us the full counsel of the word of God. Let God's word speak. God, the, the, re, the one true God, believe me, he's compelling to men. The real God, the one true God, he is very compelling to men because he's the God who created them. I, I am just, oh, I am, I, I'm in purgatory listening to the sermon because, like I said, I feel like I'm getting manly advice from, from Ross Matthews from the Jay Leno show. This guy is completely mangling God's word, isn't teaching me what it says, and is basically giving me advice by nagging me and saying, what you really need is you need a cause. You see, you gotta, you gotta find something bigger than yourself. And you and I hear that and I go, yeah, it's like worshiping God right there. Let's go. Let's battle. Let's fight. Better than any worship song. Better than it. Yeah, I hear God in that. Gets our blood pumping. I see a, I see a movie like Star Wars. Get past the lightsabers. That's cool. But what does it get down to? They're saving not just, they're not just saving a person. They're saving the galaxy. I'll fight for that. No doubt. This is exciting stuff. Yeah. When are you going to get the opportunity to fight for the galaxy? Oh. It's my blood pumping. Man, how many of you saw Braveheart? How many of you guys went out and saw it again and again and again? Man, some of you guys, you went home and you bought some blue paint on the way, didn't you? And you're like, you're like in the bathroom and you're painting your face blue. You're like, growling in the mirror, huh? Yeah, you did it, didn't you? You're all savage. We, we hear stuff like this and it, it churns something on us that, that, that lots of times we're just being too nice and so we don't, we don't deal with this stuff. But we hear something like this and it, and it, it gets us going and we realize this is a part of who we are. I mean, here, here's a quote from William, William Wallace, okay, right? Man guy, picture him, face blue. <laughs> oh, this is just so bad. <laughs> so we've abandoned actually preaching God's word in context, actually preaching and proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, proclaiming the good news of the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. And now we've resorted to contrived attempts to try to get men to come to church while listening to a guy who just 
I'm not sure if he even shaves yet. Quote, suppose quoting William Will, William Wallace from Braveheart because and talking about blue paint like that's going to somehow make up for the uh, testosterone deficit that's missing from the pulpit. Blue. This is what he says. Fight, and you may die. Run away, run away, and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all of those days of life from this day to that for just one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? Raising a sword over his head, right? But they'll never take our freedom. Yeah, all the guys in the room are smiling. All the ladies in the room are like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. We're wired different, guys and ladies. And we need to stop, guys, we need to stop being like ladies. Ladies, you don't need to be like guys. Hi, Vlog Babies. Hi, it's me, Ross. I'm just pulling out of my garage. And um, let me just My garage, by the way, which is so clean. And, I mean, it's like spotless. Seriously, I want to put, like, furniture out there and sit in it. Anyway, I'm... Be be free in who God made you to be and who you are. Man, if I was there with William Wallace, paint, face painted blue, and he gave me that speech, I'd, yeah, let's go fight. Let's if you were with William Wallace, William Wallace would not let you fight with him because he wouldn't want to lose. Let's go. I mean, how many of you guys wouldn't go? You wouldn't go? I got pink slippers for you out in the lobby, okay? Takes them on the way. I mean, you hear something like that and it stirs something in us and we got to be ready to go. Yeah, a lot of this sounds silly. Okay, I'm being silly. Uh, but there's something about this and it's true. It stirs us when we hear something like this. I Believe me, I'm stirred. Uh, yeah, I'm very stirred at the moment. But it's not like you think. In fact, it's quite different than what you're, you think is happening. I'm not feeling brotherhood, camaraderie, any of that stuff right now with you, um, Matt. And 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 the problem is 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 that a lot of us guys, we're bored. We're bored with life, and the only place that, that, that this warrior comes out is at the movies. We're we're bored with nine to five. We're bored with just living for the sake of living. We're bored with living this this mundane life that just goes through the motions. We're bored with the things of this world. And the reality is, guys, you're not truly alive until you find something worth dying for. A warrior has a cause to live for. Why don't you tell us about what Jesus Christ lived and died for? And how he calls us to take our cross and follow him. Why don't you talk about that? And stay away from the William Wallace illusions and talking about Gladiator because you can't pull it off. You have a cause to live for, guys. See, here's where men go stupid. Here's the part where some of us guys go really stupid. A warrior without a cause to fight for will find all the wrong things to fight against. Driving, so don't worry. Oh, my little... I was driving last night and my little heat seater is on, or my seat heater. I call them heat seaters because I can never say it right. Anyway, um, the gate is opening now. I uh, am drinking my coffee, which is not Starbucks. Yeah, th this pastor's voice is every bit as grating as um, Ross Matthews. 
We do. I mean, yeah, you don't have a you don't have a good cause to fight for. You start getting mad at your boss. He's a big jerk. He tells me to do this. All the authority over you. You start. You start. Uh, let me see if I have this straight. So if somebody has a hissy fit and bucks against his boss, it's not because he's a sinner. It's because he just doesn't have the right cause to fight for. Right. Yeah, that's humanity's problem you see there wouldn't be any sin in the world if we just had the right cause to fight for give me a break you start getting mad at your wife you, you start getting mad at your parents you're looking for somebody to get mad at you're looking for the man to blame and and so you're gonna fight but for all the wrong reasons and, and about all the wrong things man you don't have a fight uh, a reason to a reason to fight something good to fight for a cause to fight for you start ripping apart your marriages you start doing the stupidest things yeah, see, yeah, guys rip a cu- apart their marriages, and marriages fail because guys don't have a good cause to fight for. Right, yeah, huh, this is so deep, it's unfathomable. Start ripping apart your family, the very people you're supposed to love and protect, because you don't have a real reason to live. And so you look for one, and you start dismantling things. We become destructive, and some of us become self-destructive. We blow up all the people that we love in the middle of it. And lots of times we jokingly call it a midlife crisis, right? This is what we're talking about. A man who doesn't have a cause is going to end up in a midlife crisis. And it might not be when you're in the middle of life. And some of you guys, you've been through a couple midlife crises already, and you're only 35, right? Yeah. So the reason why some guys have midlife crises is because they don't have a good cause to fight for. See, you see... We, there wouldn't be any sin in the world if we just all had a good cause to fight for. Guys, we throw our marriages away for one stupid moment of lust because we don't have a reason to fight, a cause to fight for. We're too busy being nice. No, it's because they're sinners. The, the, guys do that because they're sinners. <sighs> we end up throwing it all away out of boredom. There's a guy in the New Testament, a guy, a guy who, who lived about the same time Jesus lived. And and during their during their during Jesus' life, their paths didn't cross. The guy's name was Saul. And Saul was fighting for the wrong reason. Saul heard about this Jesus guy and said, How dare he? How could he? And he starts going out. He finds anybody who calls himself as a Jesus follower, anybody who calls himself as a Christian, and Saul goes out, he says, I'm gonna kill them. I'm gonna get rid of them. He's got the wrong thing to fight for. And man, he's all about it. He's ripping apart families. He's ripping apart churches and synagogues. He's ripping apart cities, and he's gonna and he's gonna literally stone to death anybody who says they're gonna follow Jesus. And then this Saul guy runs into Jesus. He's got a reason to fight. Acts eight verse three. It says that Saul Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. He's a warrior without a cause, and then he finds a cause. He runs into Jesus. He meets Jesus. I think Paul had a cause. It was a really bad one, but he had a cause. And his life has changed. And he's got something to fight for now. And this guy, Saul, he's changed so much that God changes his name. You're not going to be called Saul anymore. You're going to be called Paul. And I don't know if you've read much of the New Testament, uh, much of like the second half of the Bible. About half of that's God used a guy named Paul to write that down. He had a he had a cause to fight for radically changed who he was he wasn't hurting anybody anymore instead he was bringing freedom and he was he was bringing salvation and he was bringing the story of god to people he changed the world 
Matt, why aren't you bringing the story of God to people? You're not really telling the story. You've just t- hunted, and, hunt, hunted and pecked verses out of context and strung together the stupid warrior thing that really is actually just the same sissy, girly, oprah self-help garbage. But this time it's got a testosterone veneer on it. You think guys are so stupid they they can't tell the difference? I mean, seriously. All the real men in the audience are sitting there going, this is the same stuff, just with the word warrior attached to it. Awesome stuff. And so my question for you guys is, what are you fighting for? What are you fighting for? Uh, maybe you've been taking notes as we've been going along. There's a place in your bulletin this morning to fill in the blank. What is your cause? Go ahead, fill it out. What's your cause, guys? My cause is finding a way to get guys like you out of the ministry, get you out from behind the pulpits, off the stages, and replace you with real men who will do the real job that is laid out for them in Scripture, to preach the word in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with patience and sound doctrine and instruction, preaching the word, all of it, not these out-of-context verses and these stupid, stupid warrior sermon series you know, to, to try to help keep men from leaving the church. Oh, unbelievable. This is exactly why men leave the church. Write it down on that line. Write it down. See, the reality is, is your cause in life may change. As you're in different places and seasons in life, your, your cause is going to change. And, you know... You're a 16-year-old guy, 17-year-old guy, you're single. It's going to be completely different than a guy who's 82. You're like a World War vet, right? You've been through all these battles in life. Different places in life, you're going to have a different... You know, I've never been in battle. I've studied World War II, World War I, the Civil War extensively. I know enough about battle to know you just don't glibly talk about it like that. Men who've been in battle, that's something that changes them fundamentally deep on the inside. And guys like you and me who've never experienced battle have no idea, no concept of what it means to literally live on the razor's edge and to go through such an intense experience. I... And, you know, and and, and those of you who, like, been in battle, you know, you like in the war and, you know... <laughs> Such a disrespect for our our soldiers. Such a disrespect for the men who really have been real warriors fighting for our freedoms. Ugh. Cause. Okay, I understand that. But what's your cause? You got to have one, whether you're 16 or whether you're 82 or anywhere in between. You better write something down on that line. Because if you don't write something down, you're going to start fighting for the wrong things. And you're going to – you might win those battles, but it's going to hurt other people. So what's your cause? Let me Let me help some of you guys out. Guys, if you're married – you know what one of your causes is? It's your spouse. It's your bride. It's your marriage. Maybe things haven't been working out the way you wanted them to. Maybe it's, maybe it's going south. Maybe it's just not working out. It's a lot of work. It's worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Maybe you've been neglecting your bride, and you're starting to think, you know, divorce wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, it will be a big deal. This is worth fighting for. This is the thing that you've painted your face blue for and you go to battle for every day. And maybe it means you need to go to your bride and say, you know what, I'm sorry, honey. I blew it. I haven't been leading you and loving you the way I should. 
but that's going to change today. That's worth fighting for. Maybe that's what you put down as your cause. Guys, maybe you've got kids. Then maybe your kids need to be one of those things that you write down that you fight for. Because maybe your kids are on a path that's going to take them away from God. Far away from him. And you're letting them go down that trail. Then you need to fight for them. You need to go after them. You need to go, go figure out why. What's going on? How come? And you need to do whatever it takes to get them on a trail that takes them to God. See, a lot of you are great warriors at business, aren't you? Man, your job is doing good. A lot of you are great warriors at sports. Man, you know your sport. You know your stuff. You play it or maybe you play it from the couch. I don't know. But you're a great warrior in this thing. Yeah. And you've been, you've been a great warrior in these other areas of your life, but you've been passive in this area where you need to be fierce, and that's for your kids. Because God put them in your life and you in their life for one reason, and that is to raise them up to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can't be passive in this area. You need to fight for them. You need to invade their Why don't you set the example, warrior boy, and uh, by actually opening up the Bible and preaching the text in context, start at the beginning of you know one of the Gospels and work your way through it, or take an epistle and read it from beginning to end and tell us what God's Word says. Come on, warrior boy. Why don't you fight for the people in your congregation by actually correctly handling God's word and teaching it and pointing us to Christ and him crucified. Can you do it, warrior boy? world, you need to go after them. Some of you are saying, but my kid doesn't want anything to do with me. They're far away. You love them anyways, and you go after them, and you fight for them. You go find them just like Jesus came and found you. Same way, you fight for them. You need, a war, you need to be a warrior with a cause. For some of you, you're going to put down financial freedom because you're all bound up. You can't, you can't turn around. Cause you... Yeah, no, there's a cause. Fr- financial freedom. Yeah, Will, William Wallace is having his guts removed and being tortured while he's being executed. And he yells out, freedom! And what he was really talking about was the financial freedom battle. Yeah. <sighs> Unbelievable. You can't afford to, right? Uh, you, you look at what God's asking you to do in his kingdom and in the world, and you say, I can't do it. My hands are tied. So you say, you know what I need to fight for? I need to fight to get us to financial freedom. Maybe it's just for you, or maybe it's for you and your spouse or your family. I don't know. But maybe you're fighting for financial freedom. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe it's something that you got passed down to from your folks. The Bible calls it generational curses. A lot of times we call bad habits. I'm predisposed to this. <laughs> My dad was always angry and mad, and so I'm angry and mad. And you know what? If you, that's your story, then you're going to pass that on to your kids unless you do something about it. You fight for them, and you say, it's going to stop here. I'm not going to be angry and mad anymore. It's going to stop here, and I'm not going to pass it on to my kids. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's lust. My dad always had some playboys around, you know, and I just... And... Oh, here we go again. He's describing sins. Don't you get it that Christ Jesus, our great God and Savior, defeated sin, death, and the devil through his vicarious death on the cross for our sins, and his resurrection from the grave for our justification. Why don't you talk about him? Now, I'm sure that you're going to give us a little gospel nugget there at the end of your sermon. I could feel it coming. Why can't you teach God's word in context like God's word tells you to do? No, you don't pass it on to your kids. You fight for them, and it stops right here, right now. Be a warrior, not a nice guy. You say, Pastor Matthew, what's your cause? I got some of the ones that we just passed, that we just talked about. No doubt. But you know what my cause is in life? The thing that I fight for is you. 
You are the ones that I pray. If you were really fighting for them, you would be teaching them God's word in context and preaching sound biblical doctrine, pointing us to Christ and him crucified clearly as the central theme and point of your text, of your sermon. You're not doing that. This is therapy, and it's really bad, poorly done group therapy, naggy, feminine, estrogen-filled group therapy. Pray for in the middle of the night when I wake up. Uh, you are the ones that I think about all the time, because one of my fears is that there will become a church where, yeah, cool, people love God, they show up at church, it's a lot of fun, but then during the week, no Jesus in your life, can't tell. And that's what I pray for all the time, is that we would be a people who love God both inside this building, not just, not just on the weekends, but every single day, and he transforms our lives. That's what I pray for. That, that, that's, that's. You know, I, I am absolutely convinced. I know Lutheran women, I, 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 the, the good, godly women, God-fearing Lutheran women, who are more manly than this guy. Seriously. That's my cause, is you. My other cause is the people who aren't here yet, the people who don't think that God cares about them, the people who think that they don't have any need for God. Because in both of those, the, in both of those, the inside and outside of the church, I want people to understand the power that they can have, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, he died on the cross for you and for me. And then it- Told you. I knew it was coming. I could just feel it. This Here's our gospel nugget. I'll, I'll give him the uh, gospel nugget salute. Here we go. <laughs> There you go, warrior boy. Good job on the gospel nugget. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you found a way to talk about Christ and him crucified, even in the context of the forgiveness of sins. Good job. His body went down and went in the tomb, and they closed the rock over it. And then three days later, that rock was rolled away, and he was victorious. He was alive again. The same power that was in Christ Jesus can be alive in you. And you can live that way. That you can have. Yeah, I almost have to take it back, don't I? Yeah, because he biffed it on the oh, on what the cross is really about. Oh boy, freedom from the crud you're up against inside of the church or outside of the church. That's my passion. That I want to see us live the way God made us to live. This is what I live for. This is what I'll fight for. This is what I'll die for. So, man, name your cause. Write it down. Don't leave it blank. Write it down. What is your cause? You leave a blank, and I can guarantee you, you're going to fight a battle. It's just going to be the wrong one. Yeah, come on, guys. Now write down your cause. Come on, because that's how you're going to conquer sin, by having a cause. It's going to be one that hurts people around you. Real quick, two ways to fight. Give you just the cliff notes. Two ways the warrior fights. First, sometimes you throw a punch. Sometimes you throw a punch. This is coming from the guy who grew up with the last name Fight, okay? I know how to throw a punch, but I rarely have in my entire life. Man, you don't know all the stupid bad jokes I've heard. Hey, fight. You want to fight? Thanks. That was original. So much I could say about throwing a punch. So much I could say about fighting. But the bottom line is don't be a nice guy, guys. To win, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to kick. You're going to have to bite. You're going to have to poke some of the eye. You got nunchuck skills? Use those, okay? Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. You're going to have to fight. But a lot of times, it's not going to be physically. And some of you are like, man, I thought Pastor Matthew was saying I got to hit people. Awesome. You know what? A lot of times, it's not going to be physically. 
Uh, you're not going to get to do it to someone. But the Bible's really clear. You've got an enemy who hates your guts. You've got an enemy that wants to beat you down, who's going to fight you and wants to kill you. And this is what the live groups are talking about this week. You saw the G.I. Joe action figures telling you, you need a live group. You need a right small group. Join a small group like G.I. Joe did. You, you do. This week in the live groups, they're going to be talking about how to fight, how to fight these spiritual battles that we all go through. And that so many of us guys are just sitting back waiting for somebody else to fight. It's wrong, guys. So I'm, I'm not going to go into the detail, but you've got to sign up for a, a live group t- today. They start this week. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to grab the connection card the, the, out of your bulletin, and you're going to write down your name on one side, and you're going to flip it over, and you're going to find a live group on the other side, and you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to go for that one. And some of you already have a live group. Good. Go back to your live group. And we had a little break. That's excellent. And some of you have never had one. Well, there's a bunch of new ones on there. You jump into a new one. You jump into an existing one. You say, I never tried this before. We'll try it out this week. Come on. One time it's not going to hurt you. You'll be okay. But learn to fight. Okay? So this week in the life. Yeah, you see, going to a life group and sharing your feelings in the group and, and answering the question, what does this verse mean to you? What is it saying to your heart? That's how you fight. Yeah, see that? You can tell you're really a warrior when you're doing that. Unbelievable. Five groups. Learn how to fight. Learn how to throw a punch. And like I said, some of you are all excited because you said, Pastor Matthew says I get to hit somebody. Well, there's another way to fight too. There's another way to fight. Sometimes you turn a cheek. Sometimes you turn a cheek. Sometimes you throw a punch and sometimes you turn a cheek. And another way to say turn a cheek, another word for that is forgiveness. Another word for that is forgiveness. I think of Jesus who willingly gave himself on the cross. Ah, a little bit more Jesus on the cross. And it's, oh man. I haven't heard a correct understanding of the atonement yet, but I'm glad he's talking about Jesus on the cross and mentioning it in forgiveness. This is good. I mean, that's the ultimate picture of a warrior is Jesus on the cross, giving himself for you. Uh, Jesus willingly gave himself, knowing full well they were going to bind him up and, and whip him until his flesh on his back was ripped out and internal organs were showing. He, he gave himself willingly for you, fighting for you. Notice how he's taking Christ's death on the cross and twisting it to his theme. The warrior. Ugh. knowing that, that the guards were going to punch him in the face. And they, the guards had these giant signet rings from their family and from the Roman government. And so they're hitting Jesus with this ring, making impressions in his face until the flesh is ripped off. And the Bible says that you could not recognize him as a man. And then they take him and they nail him to a cross and they put him up there. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Why did he do it? So that you could find forgiveness. He was fighting for you with love. And sometimes that's what it takes. Decent point. First real decent point I've heard in this whole sermon. Got to give him props for at least landing on his feet with the gospel at this point. (sighs) Father, forgive them. And so when you turn another cheek, guys, warriors... You need to forgive those who have hurt you. Not forget about it. I didn't say forget about it. I didn't say sweep it under the rug. I said forgive them. There's a huge difference. One brings freedom when you forgive someone. You sweep it under the rug, you forget about it. Ah, no big deal. Just forget about it. No, no, no. That brings resentment and it comes up later and it's ugly and it's full of pus and it, it gets bad. 
forgiveness where I don't hold it against you anymore and I don't think about it anymore. That's what God says when he looks at you and he says, Father, forgive them, not just the Roman guards that day, but all of us sitting in this room because he did it so that you could have a relationship with him. And when he did it, he said, Father, forgive you. And he did it so you can have a relationship with him. You and you and you, God, Father, would you forgive her and her and, and him? Forgive them for they know not what they do. And he doesn't hold it against you anymore. That's forgiveness. So sometimes you're going to have to forgive somebody else. And, and other times you're going to have to go out and you're going to ask for forgiveness, guys. We're not good at this, are we? We're macho men. We don't ask for forgiveness. But you're going to have to. You mess up, you're, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to be humble. And you're going to say, I'm sorry, I blew it. I didn't do this right. And some of you guys, you're recognizing right now, you're going to have, a, have a conversation with your wife this week and say, I blew it, I'm sorry. And some of you are recognizing with your kids, you're going to have to go to them and say, will you forgive me? Or maybe it's someone at work, or maybe it's a neighbor. I don't know who it is. But sometimes the best way to fight is ask for forgiveness. Because when you ask for forgiveness, man, yeah, forgiveness is, is, is part of a fight. Forgiveness is, forgiveness is getting you trained up and ready for battle. Because as long as you've got all this crud that you haven't forgiven others for, and as long as you've got all this crud that you're carrying around that, that you haven't asked for forgiveness for, it's like you're a big, fat slob out of weight. And you're saying, oh, let's go to battle. But you, there's no way you can do it. Until you've got forgiveness, it frees you up. It gets you trained up. It gets you strong. And you're ready to battle now for the ones you love and for your cause. You can't be fat and slow and expect to win. You can't be harboring all this resentment and anger and frustration and expect to win any battles. You need to ask for forgiveness and you need to give forgiveness. Man, I I laid a lot on you today. I recognize it fully. And over the next... No, you nagged people a lot today. Laid a lot on, oh man, you, you guilt tripped him and then manipulated him and nagged him. Next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack this some more. So I would encourage you as you're thinking about this, ladies, invite your guys so that they can hear what we're going to talk about next week. Next week, we're going to talk about the distracted warrior. The distracted warrior, oh man. Again, this is just the same sissy oprified self-help religiosity with some with like warrior wallpaper plastered over it to cover up the estrogen scent. This is ridiculous. And guys, you can't afford to miss this because I can guarantee you, you're going to hear more over the next couple of weeks that you haven't heard before. If your picture and your image of Jesus is the hippie guy that's just a passive, he's a pacifist, you don't know the full picture of who God wants you to be. How can they learn the full picture if you're not actually preaching the full picture of God's word? Huh? Yeah, you can't afford to miss it. Let me pray for us. No. No. (laughs) No. You don't get to pray for me. No. (laughs) (sighs) Folks, listen. Okay. There's a reason why men are leaving church, and that's what you just heard is part and parcel of the problem that's a fine example of the issue not correctly teaching god's word same self-help psychotherapy group therapy relationship counseling stuff i go back to what i said earlier pastors who will do their duty do fulfill the the the, the duties of their office Proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. 
correctly teach the full counsel of the word of God, preach the word in season and out of season, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name week after week after week, and don't waver from it and be bold enough to preach God's word and the full counsel of God's word, even when it's out of season like this time in our history. Men will will come to that. Men would be willing to get out of bed for that. Men would sacrifice for that. Because the God who created them and the God who died on the cross for their sins is compelling to men. The real story, not the self-help sissified group therapy version of, it's not even Christianity, I don't know what this is. That That's not appealing to men, real men. But biblical Christianity, sound doctrine, good theology, Christ and him crucified for our sins, men will come to that. Not warrior series. Basically, uh, an estrogen a sissy sermon with a warrior label slapped on it. Men can see through that. And they will continue to leave. Guaranteed. Just want to let you know. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. <laughs> Man, I had a hard time getting through that sermon. <sighs> I'm going to go lift some weights now. I <laughs> watch some football replays on ESPN or something. Good night. (sighs) Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute a mere $6.95 every month to Fighting for the Faith. And, of course, you can fill in the blank by clicking the donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Oh, my goodness. I just... <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go now. If you want to email, I'm serious. I'm going to go do something. I, I'm going hunting. I'm going to go kill an animal or something. I, if you'd like to email me, you can. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you. In the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. I am out of here.